You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The following program is a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill. Welcome to The Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you're a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. My name is Michael O'Neill. I am The Miracle Hunter and the creator of the website MiracleHunter.com. I'll be your host for the next hour as we continue our weekly exploration of the world of miracles. I'm really excited about today's program. Uh, Today we'll be interviewing Catherine O'Dell, uh, the author of the book, Those Who Saw Her, which is one of my absolute favorite books on one of my favorite topics, The Apparitions of the Virgin Mary. We'll be discussing how Mary has graced us throughout history with her presence. And of course, in just a bit, we'll be asking you a Catholic trivia question, so get your pens and paper ready. Later in the show, we'll be talking about how Our Lady is honored around the world on today, March 4th, in our segment, 365 Days with Mary. More information on this project can be found at 365dayswithmary.com or on Facebook, 365 Days with Mary. Now, if anyone was on the CNN website yesterday, uh, they'll know that a miracle story was the main headline for the day. Uh, The stories of the crises in Ukraine and Venezuela took a temporary backseat to this story. Um, Now, apparently a dead Mississippi man began breathing in the embalming room. Uh, Even in the Bible Belt, uh, coroners don't use the word miracle very lightly, Uh, but coroner Dexter Howard had no qualms about using the word miracle for the resurrection, so to speak, of Walter Williams, who was declared dead on Wednesday night. Uh, Howard uh, received a call from Williams' hospice nurse and told told him that the 78-year-old man had passed away. A family member called as well. Uh, with the same message. Um, Howard drove to Williams' home to collect the body for funeral preparations, and he checked the pulse and did other tests, and at about 9 p.m., he uh, pronounced him dead. Uh, The coroner did all the paperwork, uh, put his body in a body bag, transported him to a funeral home, the funeral home, and then he said something really strange happened. Uh, The body bag began to move. Uh, So they got him into the embalming room, and they noticed his legs moving, uh, kind of like kicking, and he began breathing as well. Uh, so they immediately called an ambulance. Uh, paramedics arrived, and they hooked uh, Williams up to monitors, and sure enough, he had a heartbeat, so they transported him to the local county hospital there. Uh, everybody was in shock, I think, uh, as the reports were saying, and not in his uh, 22 years as county coroner had Howard seen anything like it. Uh, he was absolutely certain that Williams was dead. Um, the family members were, of course, overjoyed and thanking God for saving the life of the longtime farmer that they call Snowball. Um, so you can read more about this miracle story at CNN.com or check out the link at MiracleHunter.com. To keep up to date with the latest in miracle news, please visit MiracleHunter.com and sign up for our newsletter. 
you'll receive a monthly email with the latest Miracle Hunter news, including reports on the latest miracles and news stories, links to past radio episode podcasts, updates on my television series Miracle Hunter is now in development, and my book, Hunting for a Miracle, due out in fall 2014, any upcoming speaking engagements, and much, much more. So sign up for the newsletter on MiracleHunter.com by clicking the newsletter link at the bottom of the page. Now we'll be turning to the mailbag or email inbox, as it were. We have a great question today. It goes, Dear Miracle Hunter, sometimes in my photography business, I snap a photo of clouds or nature that seems to represent something more. I call these my pareidolia pictures. I was wondering if the Church has ever authenticated a miracle of something in nature forming a holy image. Regards, Farid. Well, thanks for your question, Farid. It's an excellent one, as we often will see news stories of someone who has seen an image of Jesus or Mary appearing in some light, shadows, discolorations, or stains. I even got an email once, uh, somebody was saying that their doggy door leading in and out of their house had a stain that looked like the Virgin Mary. So there's no, no beginning or end to these things. Um, but there's a very famous image uh, resembling Our Lady of Guadalupe appearing on the side of a large building in Clearwater, Florida some years ago. It was in the 1990s. Thousands upon thousands of people flocked there to see it, and they actually built a small makeshift shrine there. Uh, there was no approval, of course, of this image. When I lived in Boston some years ago, uh, the hospital, hospital in Milton there also had an image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, supposedly forming there due to water stains on a window. They had to remove the window because so many people went to go see it. And in Chicago, where I live now, we have the infamous image of Our Lady of the Underpass, an image resembling, well, you guessed it, Our Lady of Guadalupe again. I actually got to take a very brief look at it as part of the sizzle reel for my up- upcoming television program, Miracle Hunters, now in development. And we've all heard the famous grilled cheese sandwich case of a few years back so- sold to a casino for $10,000. A few programs ago, we had Mark Shea on, and he had a few insightful comments on that. So please visit the podcast archives on MiracleHunter.com uh, to listen to that analysis. Now, these are all, of course, cases of pareidolia. This is sort of a scientific principle uh, exemplified by the Rorschach inkblot test, where people see common shapes that are suggested to them. Now, other than the famous prodigy of Our Lady of Guadalupe and something similar found in the image of Our Lady of Las Lajas uh, on the walls of a cave in Guitara Canyon in Colombia, the singular case of the Church approving something like a stain happened in Absam, Austria, in the year 1797. Now, on a snowy day, an 18-year-old girl named Rosina Bucher, she was quietly sewing at the family dinner table when she felt a sudden terror. Her father was away. He was working at the salt mines, and it came immediately to her mind that she feared that he had been in a terrible accident. So she waited and waited for him to come home, and she was looking out of her bedroom window. And as she looked out the window, she was surprised to see an amazing sight. Uh, There was an image of a beautiful young woman that had formed on the glass of the window next to her. And she called her mother, who saw it too, and they both assumed it to be the Blessed Virgin Mary. The parish priest later came to look at it, and they told all the neighbors everybody came to look at it. People tried to rub the image off the window, and it didn't uh, remove. 
people seem all to agree that it was a portrait of the Virgin Mary. Uh, despite her mother's worries, Rosina thought that it was a sign that her father and brother would come home safely, uh, despite the premonition. And they did arrive safely home, and amazingly gave the report that they had just survived a salt mine accident, as the girl had foreseen. So the origin of the image uh, was investigated and found to be undetermined, and both the priest and the bishop there declared the image to be miraculous. Uh, the two main feast days celebrated in Absam are January 17th, which was the day of the appearance, and June 24th, which commemorates the installment of the Virgin's picture in the local parish church. Special celebrations also take place at that shrine every month on the 17th of the month. For more information on this miraculous Our Lady of Absam image, you can go to MiracleHunter.com and find out more. So thank you, Farid, for your excellent question. Uh, That was definitely an interesting one. Please send the Miracle Hunter a question at questions at MiracleHunter.com, and we'll be selecting one question each week to be read on the program. Now it's time for Catholic Pub Trivia. Each week, I'll be asking a trivia question and giving out a prize for a caller that gets the right answer. This week, as in previous weeks, we'll be giving away a framed image of a piece of artwork entitled The Faces of Mary. It's a photo mosaic of over 100 images of Our Lady that forms a large, beautiful picture of the Madonna and Child. You can really see it when you step back to take a look. Trivia questions are generously provided by Catholic Pub Trivia. It's an organization that partners with Catholic parishes, religious groups, organizations, and they hold uh, trivia night fundraisers at local establishments. Uh, For more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit CatholicPubTrivia.com. We always try to keep the questions related to the theme of the day's program. Um, Today we'll be talking about Marian apparitions, and we just had the Academy Awards uh, this past week. So here's the question. What Marian Apparition movie won the award for Best Picture at the first Golden Globe Awards in 1944, along with four Oscars and eight more Oscar nominations? So that question again is, uh, what Marian Apparition movie won the award for Best Picture at the first Golden Globe Awards in 1944, along with four Oscars and eight more Oscar nominations? And we'll see if you got the right answer. This is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. You know, for each and every day of the year, uh, somewhere in the world, uh, there's a Marian title, feast, or commemoration um, of Our Lady's apparitions or other miraculous events that are being celebrated. Now, it never ceases to amaze me how much the world loves the Mother of God and honors her throughout the year. I've compiled all the dates with their feasts, and collected them into one resource. I call it 365 Days with Mary. Each entry features images, a description, and history of the feast day, along with information on the shrines that are associated with them, including visitor information and links for those who wish uh, to see these places. The project's available in print form of a daily calendar or daily organizer, as well as online at 365 Days with Mary. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, where if you like us, you'll automatically receive information about each feast day, and you'll learn more about our Blessed Mother and how she is honored around the world. Be sure to like 365 Days with Mary on Facebook, and visit the website 365dayswithmary.com to see the project. The print version, in the form of a daily organizer, makes a great gift. 
Now, we have a caller on the line, someone who's going to try to answer the trivia question. Debbie, are you on the line? Yes. Welcome Uh, to the show, Debbie. Where are you calling from? Well, I'm calling from uh, Lake Charles, Louisiana. Okay, wonderful. Uh, Thanks for calling in. And I'm going to repeat the question here. The question was, what Marion apparition movie won the award for Best Picture at the first Golden Globes Award in 1944, along with four Oscars and eight more Oscar nominations. I'm just going to guess, St. Bernadette? You are correct. The answer is Song of Bernadette. Thanks so much, Debbie, for calling in, Um, and we'll be sending you your prize in the mail, and and, uh, Julie will get your information uh, offline so we can send you that prize. So thanks so much for calling in. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, Debbie got the right answer on that one. Uh, so that was Catholic Pub Trivia. More information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit catholicpubtrivia.com. And back to 365 Days with Mary. Um, this past Monday, we celebrated the commemoration of a great apparition and miracle of the Queen of the Rosary uh, in Pompeii, Italy, in 1884. Uh, the story of Blessed Bartolo Longo and how he persistently spread the devotion with the, of Our Lady and her rosary in Italy is amazing. He never gave up. In 1979, John Paul II visited the shrine in Pompeii, and he beatified Blessed Bartolo Longo in 1980. It's a great story and worth reading, and uh, there's more on this at 365dayswithmary.com. But today's feast is that of Nuestra Señora de la Guardia, or Our Lady of the Guard, from Aragon, Spain. The title is also uh, venerated in Marseille, France. But in Aragon, Spain, in 1221, Our Lady is credited with saving the life of a child who fell into a well. Also, the defeat of an army in Italy in 1625 by a small group of peasants is also attributed to Our Lady of the Guard. In France and Spain, this title is celebrated each year on March 4th. In some locales, it's also celebrated on the Sunday before the Ascension. So be sure to visit the Project 365 Days with Mary on Facebook and online at 365dayswithmary.com to find out more about Our Lady of the Rosary or about Our Lady of the Guard or any of the other hundreds of other Marian devotions celebrated around the world. This is Michael O'Neill. You are listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. And uh, we're joined today by author Catherine O'Dell, who is the author of the book Those Who Saw Her, a book published by our Sunday Visitor, and it's a book about one of my all-time favorite topics, which is Marian apparitions. Welcome to the show today, Catherine. Thank you, Michael. It's nice to join you. It's great to have you uh, here on the show, and as I mentioned, I I love your book, and uh, it's, it's one of my favorites relating to Marian apparitions, and you know, I've I've, uh, I've read it several times, and I was I've been wondering what inspired you to write this book in the first place. Well, for authors, sometimes uh, books uh, are born, shall we say, in two different ways. One, t- uh, sometimes the author has the inspiration to write a, on a certain topic, and other times um, a publisher will ask an author they've already had the idea they want a book in a particular area. So, for me, it was. Um, being invited uh, to write the book, uh, which would tell the stories of many different apparitions. I had uh, already been to Lourdes at the time that I was asked to write the book, and I thought, uh, oh, that I would love to do that, because I was very 
impressed by Lourdes and wanted to know more about other apparitions. Sure. And what was it, what was your experience like at Lourdes? What did you uh, see there or feel there or learn there that made you made you really be excited about Marian apparitions? Well, it was uh, actually my first time that I really traveled outside of this country, but uh, and it was actually on a pilgrimage, so Lourdes was one of the places that our pilgrimage traveled to. But I found it a tremendous place of peace and quiet. It's, it's really a little bit hard to get to. Um, you have to really take a, it's in the way in the south of, of, of France, so you really have to take a, a train from Paris or a plane and a relatively short flight, but um, it's just a, a, a community where uh, a small town, a village town, many years ago when the apparitions occurred. But but now it's it's a community that's very focused on um, orientation to welcoming people to this place of peace and healing and prayer. And of course, there are a lot of people who are ill who are uh, traveling there to pray for healing. But um, it's just. Um, just a wonderful healing place to go to, and a beautiful place to visit as well. Now, in, in reading your book, um, I was I was struck by you dedicated uh, a, a chapter near the beginning. Um, I, can't, I can't remember the title, but why Mary, or or what is it about Mary? And um, so, I was wondering, what reflections do you have on the life and role of Mary in the Church that became significant to you as you researched and wrote this book? Well, I think one of the things that's important to remember about Mary is that um, actually there's very few things that we read that she has said in Scripture, but um, John's Gospel uh, tells us that in the story about the wedding feast at Cana that she tells the servants when she finally talks Jesus into doing something about the shortage of wine, because the uh, the couple, the newly married couple, is running out of wine in their uh, at their wedding feast, and she tells the servants, "Do whatever he tells you." And this is kind of an expression of Mary's own reaction to what God has asked her in her life. Uh, first of all, um, saying yes to His request that she become the mother of the Lord, mother of of, of Jesus. And throughout her life, there were many times when she had to say yes. And um, I think this is kind of an inspiration in terms of uh, everyone can look at this simple willingness to say yes to what God asks you in your own life. And I think you really see this in the lives of the visionaries, too. Um, Not so much before they have this encounter, but afterwards their life is so transformed that nothing is ever really the same for them again. And they find themselves not only feeling compelled to, but wanting to say, yes, I'm willing to do whatever the Lord asks me to do. And for a lot of the visionaries, um, their lives were pretty challenging and pretty difficult after they had these wonderful encounters with um, with Our Lady. Sure. Um, many of them were quite young during the apparitions, but later their lives were, were we had a lot of difficulties, illnesses, personal problems, kind of becoming celebrities in, in a way that's not really uh, right. easy on your life. Um, so 
doing whatever the Lord asks you is is a mighty powerful uh, message from Mary. Sure. And um, and one one thing when you look at Marian apparitions, and I think you you raised this question in the book, even as sort of a, a lead-in, uh, you ask why does the Virgin Mary come back to us? She lived on Earth, and she was the Mother of Christ, but why? Why, in fact, does she come back, and why does she come back again and again and again throughout history? Mm-hmm. I, I found in researching the book and in, in reading uh, on this very question that some of the theologians, particularly Father Rene Laurentin, who's uh, a Mariologist and and was one of the prin- the principal historian of all of the upper, of the apparitions at Lourdes. Yeah. Um, developed the idea and, and really made a case for the fact that Mary comes as a prophet. A prophet is a person who speaks, who's chosen by God to speak for God. And when you think about it, who could be a more effective spokesperson for God than, uh, than Mary, who was born without sin, who became the mother of his, of his only son, and who, even at the end of Jesus' life, Jesus turns to his uh, apostle John and asks John to take care of Mary and also tells Mary that John will be, in a sense, her son. But in the Church, we also understand this gesture from Jesus in the last moments of his life as indicating that uh, Jesus wanted Mary to be the mother of his Church, of of all of of those who would be following him. So it really makes her the ideal person to come back time time and time again to really speak for God, to remind people of the message of the gospel, to really appeal for people to reconcile their lives, um, to look at their lives, to be converted, to to look at the poor, to care for the poor, and all of these other themes that are constant themes that Jesus really preached uh, throughout his life, the Sermon on the Mount, and constantly asking people to uh, love one another as as he loved them. So I think uh, it seems to me that that makes perfect sense to look at the apparitions in terms of Mary coming as a prophet to speak for God and to remind people in very graphic and beautiful and varied ways. There's such a lot of of variety and, and such a lot of um, cultural interest in the many ways that she has come through apparitions. Yes, I think Father Laurentin actually even says authentic apparitions are sort of a manifestation of God in, in their own way. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... and um, now, there are many people who get uh, excited, uh, perhaps overly excited, about apparitions, and mm-hmm. then there are those people who uh, are quite uncomfortable with uh, apparitions and wish, sure. wish that people focused on other sure. things. Sure. How, how would you describe uh, the balance that people should have in approaching apparitions, and, and what is the role of apparitions for the faithful? Well, the Church reminds us that um, revelation supplies the necessary body of truth about God and salvation, and that apparitions um, don't really add anything to what we know or what we 
we what we must believe about God and salvation. So Catholics are are given uh, freedom really to to believe that Mary has appeared or not. Um, it's it's really up to individual Catholics to really decide whether or not this is something that enhances the practice of their faith or or doesn't. And is that true in the case of all apparitions, even the highly approved ones like Fatima and Lourdes, where the Church has said that this is uh, something worthy of belief? Yes, I think so. I think that Mm -hmm. um, Catholics really um, are given absolute freedom to believe or disbelieve in any individual apparition or in apparitions as a whole, Um, since, as I mentioned, uh, Revelation supplies really what we um, what we need to know and what we need to believe about God and salvation. But when you look at really the the, the real truth of it is that many of our popes, um, especially our recent popes who've traveled more, have visited uh, a lot of apparition sites, um, particularly when we think of the life of uh, John Paul uh, II. Uh, he traveled... Uh, to Mexico to um, to canonize Juan Diego That's right. in 2002, but he also traveled, of course, the year after he was almost assassinated, to Fatima, to thank Our Lady of Fatima, and to visit with um, the only surviving visionary that was Sister Lucia, and to talk about, I'm sure that their conversation was probably one of the most interesting conversations of the century. <laughs> um, but uh, the popes have really, in what they, how they have traveled and how they have reacted, uh, certainly shown us that they believe, and that it, it, it certainly seems as though it's something that Catholics should take seriously. That um, there's so many more reasons to believe that this is true than than not. So. It seems as though Catholics should at least read and be open and and uh, recognize that, as I said, the uh, the apparitions are really um, they really repeat the gospel. They really repeat repeat as prophets did throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament with John the Baptist. What God really wants us to remember and keep in mind. That's right. Now, you, you mentioned uh, the visits of the popes to various shrines throughout history, and, of course, that's viewed as a certain level of approval mm-hmm. of these things when a, uh, when a pope canonizes the associated saint, right. or he makes a visit to the shrine, or he composes a prayer to honor Our Lady under that title, or he gives a golden rose and creates a, a basilica on the spot. Mm-hmm. But the Pope perhaps only gets involved in a later stage of approval. How, how, can you explain to our listeners how uh, the Church goes about investigating and improving, approving an apparition? Well, the Church um, leaves the matter in the, uh, to the authority of the local bishops. Uh, assuming that the local bishops are, are the local diocese is the best um, institution to investigate what has happened locally so that it can, can be understood from the from a cultural dimension and from the ability to gather information. Um, and, of course, 
in the in modern times where we certainly have a lot more uh, ability to share information globally instantly um, it, it does make sense that these guidelines have been in place for a while that it's up to the local bishop to investigate this um, but basically I think uh, appar- apparition guidelines have been somewhat revised in recent years and just to kind of put it in general terms, I think that um, that the Vatican and bishops understand that any apparition, for instance, cannot contradict or question uh, the Christian faith or fundamental church teachings. Mm-hmm. So if there's something in the messages that seems to contradict, uh, like a fundamental teaching, let's say, the real presence of the Eucharist or something else, um, I think, I'm sure it would raise a red flag and, and it would, it would, I would say, probably begin to indicate that this apparition claim is not genuine. Um, also they say um, that visionaries must meet medical and psychological standards to eliminate any thought of hallucinations. Right. Uh, they must be in communion with the church and show good spiritual fruits. Um, and there must be no uh, message which is divisive about the Church. Um, Father yeah. Laurentin said something about uh, apparitions must remain in charity and obedience. So, basically, whatever whatever is investigated and studied, and sometimes the study takes a very, very long time. <laughs> Yeah. Like the latest apparitions approved the apparitions at Lowe in southern France. It was 300 years before. <laughs> right. That's pretty unusual. But um, but they, they have to kind of line up or at least um, mesh with whatever the church already teaches and can't contradict anything. Sure. Now, in, in your book, I know you, uh, you made a very brief mention that... Uh, Our Lady of Akita in Japan and Batania in Venezuela, um, those were some of the first approvals of any sort that the Church had seen uh, since the apparitions in in Belgium, for example, in the 1930s got their full approval. Uh, And you you mentioned that the Batania apparitions in Venezuela have a certain higher level of approval than those in San Nicolas, Argentina, or Cabejo, which also have chapters in your book. How how do you uh, differentiate between um, neither of those? Those are probably all on the bishop level of approval. How can you? How do you? How do you uh, differentiate between uh, higher levels of approval when it's when it's at that point? Um, I'm not sure about that. I I, I don't know. It it seems as from what I've read about the apparitions at Batania that. Um, well, they're referred to as the Lords of South America, yeah. the, the site itself. And um, I, I guess at the last apparition, March 25th in 1984, many people saw uh, the apparition. Yeah. And um, there was a lot of investigation, it's a very thorough investigation by the, by the bishop of that diocese, but... Um, 
So I, I guess I'm not sure I could really speak with real authority um, about the levels of approval that are given. And it, it, it's interesting because sometimes there is no official approval given to apparitions. For instance, the apparitions at Knock in Ireland, um, it, it, which occurred just one evening right. in 1879 in, um, in County Mayo in Western Ireland, um, were never really uh, given any kind of formal approval. Um, but it was those apparitions which uh, were really everybody in the village, a small village, saw these figures of, of Mary and also St. John the Evangelist and St. Joseph yeah. um, outside the church. It was a tremendous um, consolation to this part of Ireland, which had suffer, suffered greatly from for decades from uh, a lot of poverty and the potato famine and a million and a half people dying of of the famine in previous years and many many more desperate uh, just immigrating to America. So the people had been through so much, but this was just a, a, a consolation. And Guadalupe too. Um, the the apparitions were never formally approved by the church, so it, it it's just um it's just kind of has a wonderful freedom about it if you think about it in some ways okay. that uh, some of the wonderful sites that people still visit and are connected with apparitions are are formally approved but others are not but um, you know people go go there for prayer and for healing and to just um, connect with with the message there. So. Yeah, and it's been it's been my thought that uh, many of these apparitions or apparition claims are investigated in order to protect the faithful or guide them pastorally uh, to make sure that they they're not involved in fanaticism or they're not right. uh, sort of drawn away from authentic practice of the faith mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. centered on Christ. So um, right. there are many apparitions throughout history where. Uh, the popes have visited the shrines or, or given other approval where there hasn't been a formal investigation involved. So um, right. I think we, I think right. we see apparitions of all sorts throughout history. Mm-hmm. And um, now you you mentioned a little bit earlier that um, the fruits of an apparition are sort of an important factor that the church looks at um, when it uh, when it investigates uh, an apparition. And of course, we have some apparitions in the news as of late where the great fruits of them are pointed to as uh, evidence of, of their truth. Um, can you talk a little bit about how the Church uh, balances sort of uh, finding a supernatural origin to the apparition and also investigates such things as the fruits of the apparition? Mm-hmm. Well, looking at the fruits of the apparition, of course, um, takes some time. And I think the Church generally does try to take some time and is patient, doesn't rush into these things uh, very quickly. Although some apparitions have been approved pretty quickly, um, such as Lourdes, um, fairly soon after those apparitions uh, of Mary uh, to Bernadette at Lourdes uh, were approved. But I think the fruits that the Church and tries to take the long view, but also must react, because as you say, they, part of the uh, pastoral 
um, responsibility of the church is to protect the faithful from anything that may be false or bogus or misleading. But the fruits, um, I think, that are looked for in apparitions are that um, conversion of hearts, uh, reawakening of faith, um, renewal. Um, one of the other things that I think that happens is renewing uh, communities and just showing, I think, people that, uh, showing people the hidden presence of God, that God is, uh, God is there, God is sending his mother to remind them um, that he's a loving father and that uh, he wants people to respond to him that way and to live the lives that they're meant to live and to um, to look for what's important in life and to leave other things behind. Uh, so it is a balance, and uh, I think that the Church tries pretty hard to to establish this balance, which I think is part of the wisdom, too, of allowing things to be settled and to look at, looked at and examined in the local area. Absolutely. Um, by the local diocese, sort of subsidiarity approach to this. But, That's right. So, but each, each apparition probably has its own particular story. You could probably write books about the way apparitions have been studied. I would think so. I would think yeah. so. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I do. I do think one, one interesting aspect um, that the church uh, sort of uh, it discourages attachment to apparitions, and I think it reacts mm-hmm. when there's a very uh, a swell of popular support around an alleged phenomena, mm-hmm. and uh, it almost discourages this. But if you look at the cases of Lourdes or Fatima, for example, it was really the the swell of support from the local people who who came to be a part of this and to to figure out what was going on and and uh, honor Our Lady with their presence. Mm-hmm. Of course, if it wasn't for um, for all that attention and support, the the local authorities may not have even investigated in the first place. So right. it's it's kind of an interesting another right. another point of balance there. Where where you know where does fanaticism and where does support uh, where does that balance uh, come in? So. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, you're right, um, and there's a certain phenomena. For instance, in Lourdes in 1858, um, you know, a very small little village of a couple thousand people, um, after these apparitions began, and um, nobody in official control was really all that happy about it in the first place. <laughs> right. Especially the police and uh, the pastor was very belligerent to... Bernadette and very hesitant to believe anything she said until sometime after the apparitions were really um, launched, you might say. But um, after many people were coming, then there were all of these reports, probably from young girls who said they were seeing Blessed Mother. And you know, and that's happened in other apparitions as well in Belgium and. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. And even you have this. Um, I did a study on this where, uh, even with the Medjugorje phenomenon, for mm-hmm. example, many of the people who claim apparitions have been to Medjugorje themselves and have a devotion there. So, not to say that there's a connection, but it seems like there's a certain mimicry that happens uh, when apparitions do happen. Yeah, it does seem and, like that. And I, I thought one one uh, 
interesting story from your book related to this was you mentioned that there were so many people who were popping up and claiming apparitions that the local bishop even wasn't as friendly with Bernadette as he could have been right. because of his uh, frustrations with uh, so many so many people making similar claims. So he was he she her what had happened was causing him a lot of <laughs> difficulty, you might say. But yeah, so yeah, the the copycat you might say, um, phenomenon just occurs too, which which makes it confusing and pastorally delicate for the church to deal with these things. No, that's uh the the topic is fascinating and, and we appreciate your time uh dissecting it for us and, and I'm sure people are wondering what uh, what's your what re- what books uh, this book has been um it's come out in two editions now, I believe, and uh, but you've written other books uh, more more recently. Can you tell us a little bit about your other projects that you've worked on? Um, I I have also written biographies. Uh, in a sense, this this book is, is sort of a collection of stories about apparitions, and in some way, biographies of the people that were involved in the apparitions. But I've also written a full biography of. Uh, Father Solanus Casey, uh, who's a Capuchin, uh, who's venerable now in the church, um, who may one day be uh, a, a saint, American saint. He had a healing ministry uh, in Detroit. He lived in Detroit, but in other areas, in New York as well, but uh, in Indiana here, but uh, principally in Detroit, where the Capuchins have a, a large monastery. I also wrote a biography of St. Faustina uh, Kowalska, the Apostle of uh, Divine Mercy. And then my last book was a book about the Rosary, Praying the Rosary for Intercession. Uh, All those were published by our Sunday visitor. Uh, I'm interested right now in in possibly writing something in the future about um, healing, Um, prayer for healing and... uh, individual people becoming uh, involved in this kind of prayer, uh, understanding that praying for healing was something that Jesus wanted his apostles to go out and do, but um, also all of his disciples to really imitate what he did to share the gospel and and to, um, to try and strengthen and support the body of Christ. So... I hope at some point in the near future maybe to write something about healing stories. Wonderful. No, uh, we're all looking forward to that, Great. if you uh, if you do write that. And for those people who have been listening to the program, um, and we've been talking today with Catherine O'Dell, um, the name of the book is Those Who Saw Her, and it's a book on the apparitions of the Virgin Mary. And where can people find this book, Catherine? This book was published by Our Sunday Visitor, and they could find uh, and order the book through uh, the website for Our Sunday Visitor. Mm, Some Catholic bookstores carry it still. Um, The latest edition was um, 2010, so um, I'm hoping maybe that they can obtain that or or find that from either the publisher or uh, through the Internet. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much, Catherine, for joining us today. Your interview was very enlightening, and we appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. 
And that was Catherine O'Dell, uh, author of the book Those Who Saw Her, a book on Marian apparitions published by our Sunday visitor. And that's all the time we have for the program today. Uh, I'd like to thank our guest, Catherine O'Dell, for joining us on the show. Next week we'll be doing a program on St. Marianne Cope. Uh, she was with uh, St. Damien of Molokai, uh, helping the lepers on the Hawaiian Islands. And um, we'll be joined by somebody who had a miracle attributed to the intercession of St. Marianne Cope, as well as uh, several members of her religious order. So definitely looking forward to that interview. On March 29th, I'll be giving a talk at a Totally Yours conference in Rolling Meadows, Illinois. I'll be discussing how Medjugorje is similar to and different from other apparitions throughout history. For more information on attending this conference, please visit totallyyours.com or miraclehunter.com. And be sure to visit miraclehunter.com as your resource for miracles and to keep up to date with how Our Lady is honored around the world at 365dayswithmary.com. My name is Michael O'Neill. Thank you for joining me today on Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you are a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill.